Hey everybody, Vic Lombardi here for the uh, first ever podcast slash webcast on uh, prostate cancer awareness. Uh, my goal here is to interview everybody that's involved in this process, doctors, nurses, advocates, and fellow patients, survivors, battlers, like Jeremy Siefkis, my buddy. That's how you pronounce your last name, right? Siefkis, yeah. Right there. How do you spell it? S-I-E-F-K-A-S. Siefkis, what Siefkis. is that? Dutch German. Dutch German yeah. descent. Yeah. So the way it goes with me, Jeremy, and before we get going here, I thought like any good podcast, maybe I'd play some notes, just strum a little guitar to get us going. Problem is I have no idea how to play the guitar. Jeremy? You? Oh, wow. Well, we can try. We can All right, try what do you so play? Well. How long have you been playing? Uh, a few years. So okay, what do you got? Uh, this is a little wagon wheel. Wow, you know how to use that instrument. I wish I was musically inclined. How many podcasts do you get with music in the background like this? Self-made. How beautiful is this? All right, that's enough. All Thanks, right. Jeremy. Appreciate yeah. it. All right, let's get down to business. Now, the intent here is to have a free-flowing conversation like we would, like we did that night we went out. Yeah. Uh, the wise, we had dinner just to talk about what we've gone through, what we're facing coming up, um, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, all that stuff. So, And the intent also is to educate those who are about to undergo that same journey. Because uh, I know I was in those shoes eight weeks ago, you know, and you were too. Yeah. Where you had no idea what you're up against. Didn't know you what had to expect. no clue what this meant, uh, what the surgery was going to feel like. Uh, and it's scary. I was, excuse my language, but this is on the internet. I was scared shitless. You? Scared shitless. And uh, no if, doubt about if, it. If not for relationships like this and the internet and people getting word let's go back to how we met so i was diagnosed on february 1st i'll never forget it it was 3:45 in the afternoon i got a call from my doctor uh got some news to report and i didn't hear anything after he said cancer every every other word he said after cancer it's lost on me right now i just knew i had cancer when were you diagnosed uh january 10th um two o'clock yeah didn't hear a word after uh, yeah. we got to talk. You have cancer, and <laughs> that that feeling that that it's almost surreal. I I almost did not want to believe it. it. For me, I'm defiant when it comes to that stuff, Jeremy. I was like, no, there's no way. The, I'm gonna go get retested, and it's gonna be some sort of like yeah. infection. I'm fine. I feel fine. Yeah, check your check your charts. That, exactly. That's not that's not me. Yeah. Wrong, Jeremy. Well, and, and the reason why, I think, and, and the reason we're doing this is because there's so many 40-year-old, 40 40-somethings 40 who are getting diagnosed with prostate cancer, and it hits them um, like a truck because feel healthy, no symptoms, uh, no family history from, from my family. All of a sudden, I go to the doctor uh, on a random physical in, in December, and one thing leads to another, and I have cancer. You you felt fine, didn't you? I had no symptoms, and when I I went in for a physical, much like you did, right? And mm -hmm. I was gonna blow it off, and uh, thank God I didn't. Okay, why did you go get a physical? Uh my wife and son. Hey, well, you haven't got a physical in a couple. How of long? Years. How long had it been? Uh probably two years. Okay, so two years for you, like me, I went randomly too, as mm -hmm. fate would have it. You know, the fates, it's crazy. Just a <laughs> random lines. shot at it. It's interesting because when my doctor brought up prostate and you need to go get a prostate exam, you hear those words. I have no idea what they mean. I don't. I didn't know in December what a prostate was. I did. My father had 
prostate cancer. So, so you had some I, history. I, I had some history, right? So I knew, um, and I and I thought the worst when I when he said, "Oh, you have a high PSA, right?" So you knew already all that terminology. Yeah, I knew some of the terminology, and I knew what to. Well, I knew of it. Didn't okay. know what to expect. You know, nothing like that. So it was uh, still, nonetheless, shocking. Okay, I'm 49 years old. Jeremy, 46. You're 46. We're supposed to be deemed too young for this crap, okay? Especially a guy who has no family history. You have family history, so you would think maybe you're in that high-risk category. It's on the radar, right? But yeah. not me personally. Sure. And that's why a lot of doctors, they don't even think about checking you until you're 50. It's just not in the conversation. It, nobody even thinks about it. We were both fortunate to go down the road where we got checked. The PSA was taken. It's it's not in there. It's not in their uh, book of business to do that in a physical. I wonder age. why. It's just it, you know if you look healthy, feel healthy, and that's for another day. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk to some doctors and researchers and go down that road. That's yeah. for another day. The bottom line is we're both fortunate because we caught it at an opportune time. Now, you can get going to debate about what it's like after the fact. So you you got diagnosed in January. I got diagnosed in February. Uh, my immediate move was, okay, what the hell do I do now? And I spent two days in a rabbit hole on the Internet that were the darkest, yeah, the darkest two days of my life. I went to places on the Internet, you know, checking um, life span, checking cancer across all boards. How long will I be around? Do I have a will? Uh, am I going to die next week? Is it in my brain? Is it in my feet? I mean, where is it? Yeah. I, I, had, I had everything going through my mind. You? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, oh, gosh, my, my hip hurts. Is it, yes. is it in my hip now? I mean, yeah, you, you go to places where, you know, you never thought you'd be. I felt sorry for myself for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 But, you know, yeah. it's funny. Now that you look at it, I, the the whole sympathy thing, I was more in the grand scheme of things, upset at the fact that this nuisance is impacting my life. It was more like, why do I have to deal with mm-hmm. this crap? I got a busy life to lead. I don't have time for things this to right do. now. Yeah. Busy. You know, very busy. And now I got to deal with cancer. So your next move was what after diagnosis? Uh, so schedule then, you know, this follow-up exam with or follow-up consultation with doctor. Okay. Uh, had that information at hand. And I just didn't didn't like what I heard, right? From why? That why didn't you like it? I just did it didn't I don't know it didn't feel right with that doctor I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't click uh, sure just didn't feel right and okay. his his explanation of next steps and matter of fact it, this isn't matter of fact to me this this could take my life sure and so it's not matter of fact in, in this case so I got a second opinion and uh, hit it off with this doctor felt good why but, what resonated uh, th- this is explanation uh, his protocol his care after after care. Uh, you know, how long you have to have a catheter and things like that. It just more it, descriptive for you. Descriptive. It made sense to me. It made it made sense. And it wasn't matter of fact, like this guy has my life in his hands potentially. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm in good hands. OK, so you you decided to go to a different doctor and then you scheduled surgery. Did you ever consider anything but surgery? Uh, I was never given any options but surgery. Yeah, me too. So. And, and the reason why, Jeremy, ironically, he and I coincidentally are both Gleason nine cancer patients. Yep. Uh, prostate cancer. You prostate learn, brothers. Yeah, you learn uh, early on. I'll never forget when I left my my doctor's uh, office, and uh, we had the discussion as well. Uh, a friend of mine called up and said, "What's your Gleason score?" And I go, "I don't want to be talking about my GPA right now from college." <laughs> what do you mean? What's your what the hell's a Gleason score? 
You right. learn quickly. Yeah. You learn quickly what that is. So for those of you, you're not going to watch this if you're not a uh, would-be patient or a, somebody in the administration process here. But a Gleason score clearly impacts uh, what you do next. And if you're a – there's a far different – there's much difference between a Gleason 6 and 7 and a Gleason 9. Absolutely. We know the difference. Know the difference. They I tell you the difference. have a friend that was just diagnosed uh, two weeks ago and a Gleason uh, – Three, four, right? So mm -hmm. seven. Sure. And now it's a it's a wishful or a waitful watch, whatever exactly. whatever yeah. that terminology yeah. is mm -hmm. right now. So they're just going to keep an eye on it, and that wasn't that wasn't the hand we were dealt. Not at all. And and in some ways, it's it's not. Listen, I didn't mind that. Even if I if a doc told me I was a Gleason seven, I'm the kind of guy where I don't care. I want it out. <laughs> right. I probably would have done the same exact yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I was in a hurry to get mine out of my body. I don't know if you were. Yeah, you don't. Your cancer, like get it, get rid of it yes. as fast as we can, as much as you can. Can I take a pill? Do I? What's next? Yeah, and then you're asked about, you know, you want to do clinical trials? Do you want to do this? You hear about the the hormone th hormone therapy, the the radiation. There are so many things that are swimming through your head. Yeah. And as you prepare for the surgery, and we went to dinner. Did we go to dinner after surgery? Yes. Yeah, yes. It but, was post surgery. Yeah. The wives. About three weeks. Exactly. Three weeks. Yeah. So. The surgical process for me, as you're, as you're walking up to that date, all the questions I'm trying to answer, all the research I'm trying to do, I'm, I feel like a doctor. I don't know about you. I've got so much information swimming through my head. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can talk shop now. Exactly <laughs> right. Talk and shop yeah. with the best. Yeah. So all that does in, in, in many respects is cause some anxiety for the surgery. But the truth of the matter is we both had the same type of surgery, robotic surgery, mm -hmm. right? The surgery, the process of surgery it's, itself was the easiest thing in this whole process. It was easy for me and you. Oh, if you said, sir, you're surgery, like, oh, gosh, what's this going to entail? I'm going to be laid up. What's rehab? Like, surgery? I can't even tell I had surgery right now. Nor are you, right? I mean, it's... My scars are healing. Yeah. I know you're ahead of schedule because you yeah. were a week before me. I yep. saw your scars soon after surgery. You looked like you were already healed. Yeah. But, and it's funny when you tell people that because, oh, they cut into you, right? They go deep. They take out... A gland that's deep in your bowels, essentially. essentially. They pull it right out of there, and you're thinking, this is going to be, and you read on, oh, it's going to be a month to two months. Dude, I felt fine after two weeks. You, you were running after two weeks. I pretty much, <laughs> you? Yeah, I felt great. I, and, and, and that doesn't press, apply yeah. to everybody, okay? No, no. A lot of it, there's a lot of things that go into play. You know, what kind of shape you're in, um, the, the surgery itself, uh, how much they had, they had to remove 31 of my lymph nodes. I had no lymph nodes removed, so I had, I had a little bit different recovery than you, right? Yeah, so, you had less bruising. <laughs> had less you remember bruising. the bruising oh, I had. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So when you were in your surgery, did they tell you that they might possibly have to take lymph nodes, or was that something that they noticed when they went in? They It was, uh, so you signed that surgery just sure. uh, disclosure, yeah. and it was, if we see lymph nodes, we're going to take them. But they liked what they saw and they didn't have to great so, yeah. yeah they yeah. they decided to take mine because uh we're a little slightly different as much as we're the same the one difference between our two prostate cancers is my prostate cancer crept outside of the prostate itself uh i can't tell you what the term is called because i can't pronounce it but it crept right outside the prostate now my margins came back negative which means they got it all uh my Lymph nodes came back negative, which means it did not go there, but it got outside the prostate. So I am deemed a um, stage three 
prostate cancer survivor. You're stage two. Why? Right, because mine did not breach the prostate. So there you it, go. it was contained in the capsule and and they got it all just like yours, but it hadn't had a chance to creep outside for lack of a better term because I can't pronounce that word either. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're going to do this chronologically. So we'll, we'll get to all the details. So you're sitting in that surgery room. You go through the surgery process itself. You're put under, by the way, the best sleep I've had in years. It was wonderful for me. Yeah, there's two hours. I don't know, three hours. I don't you know what it was. Up, I don't, yeah, yeah it was you wake sleep. up and you're like, huh, I feel a little off, but it wasn't the worst thing. No. You know, you go home the next day, as you well did. You, you got a, you're wearing a catheter, which wasn't fun. Uh, now, you went two weeks with the catheter. I went I, 16 days. 16 days. Yeah. Wow. Bonus time. Sweet 16. <laughs> I went just a week. And everybody had these war stories about the catheter. I didn't mind carrying a bag of urine around with me. It was almost convenient. It was convenient. It was great. You go have a beer and you're going to get up. Honest to God, I didn't worry about <laughs> The stuff that people worry about is the least yeah. of your concerns. the least of your concerns. It really is. The only thing I, I still worry about, and I worried about during the process, is the anxiety of getting the cancer. I, I didn't care about all the ancillary mm -hmm. items that went with it. Get the cancer out. Get it get out. Get it out. I'll, I'll deal with everything but the cancer. Yes. Get the cancer out. Yes. And if you're hung up for a month, whatever, doesn't matter. We're both active. Mm -hmm. you're, you ride bikes. I ride bikes. Mm -hmm. We're both cyclists. You're much more so than I am. I, I guess the biggest downside here is that you can't ride for a while, right? What did no. your doctor tell you? Uh, so I went and saw my doctor Monday, had my PSA blood test, first one, and he said at least eight weeks. So that Did you ask us, why? Why eight weeks? Uh, it's the pressure uh, sitting on the seat because uh -huh. the prostate buffered that pressure. Okay. And the way that they join the urethra back to the bladder, you, you just don't want that scarring. You don't want any of that pressure on okay. that right now. All right. I, I get that. Yeah. So the, the first couple of weeks when you're at home and you're convalescing and you can still feel something's wrong with your stomach, you're, you're sensitive to it, you're eating nothing but soup. Right. Oh, you remember those couple soup. weeks. And, and and then when you get to it, there's a certain point you hit, and everyone's different, where incontinence aside here, sexual dysfunction aside, I'm just talking about how you feel. You get to that point like, God, I, I want to go back to doing what I was doing. And, and they don't want you to. No. Like they, they, they yelled at me when they, found, when they found out that I went jogging two weeks after surgery. I got yelled at. Don't do it. Yeah. So because there are things that still are shaky inside. But, like, right now, two weeks, I physically felt great. And I know you do, too. Absolutely. Hard-pressed hard to say that I had a surgery six weeks ago. Okay. that Let's get that out of the way. Now comes the hard part. And the stuff where, and one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is men are so secretive and so sheltered and so afraid to talk about things that women are so open about, Right. Um, what happens to a man when your prostate is removed? I get that question asked all the time. Well, first thing is you're, you're not having babies anymore because the prostate gland is the gland in the human body, the male body that produces the semen, correct? Correct. So that's gone. So you, you have a child? I do. Beautiful. Four-year-old son. All right. I've got three kids. I'm not in the baby-making business anymore. Either are you. Nope. All right. So uh, for those- Well, maybe the- trying business yeah the no, trying no, but the no, making no, no, the producing <laughs> yeah. unless you uh, froze some sperm beforehand yeah, you're not having gone. babies yet um so for those of you i feel your pain for those of you who are in your 40s or in your 50s who still look to produce and all that that that's the toughest part it's got to be the toughest, part, be the toughest part, part there's yeah. no doubt um that didn't impact me because i was snipped anyway i was ahead of a vasectomy me too 
Year after my son was born. Did so, you? Yeah. yeah I had <laughs> wasn't having a baby. I think I had mine a day after my third. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that that was not in the question anymore. So the the sexual uh, function is it takes time, and everyone's different. Um, it's funny. As soon as I left the doctor, you go to the pharmacy and they say, "Okay, you got to pick up this pill, this pill, and that pill." I stayed away from the painkillers. I didn't take many of them, but they also assign you Viagra. Viagra, Cialis, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm looking at this going, so all my life, this is sort of like a funny look. Yeah, look at these guys. Old dudes take Viagra, right? Like, <laughs> what, what, would I, what do I need? And now I'm eating these things like they're M&Ms. Yeah. And, and I didn't understand why, but you need to stimulate the nerves again. You need to get yep. the nerves working. Because the one thing he and I have in common, too, is part of our surgical process, they had to take one set of my nerves. Right. They took. I think I remember your right nerve, right? I forget which one. They which took one? one set of my nerves. You they took to, one yeah. set of your they, nerves. They, both sides of the prostate have a nerve. Um, unfortunately, they weren't able to salvage both. Now, wh- why? One. I'm curious. If your prostate was intact and nothing burst, why did they have to take your nerves? Still? Because the highest cancer was on my left side okay. of the prostate. But so if it never got outside the prostate, what does it he matter? Did, he didn't want to take the chance of possibly having a margin come back that wasn't clean. Smart. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd rather like, have it that way, okay. too. Right. Yeah, I'd rather have it that way, too. So when you're taking the nerves one side or the other, you're going to have some issues. Sure. That, that comes with the territory. Sure. I think both of us can agree, and when, you, when you're looking at these issues in retrospect, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to deal with that. Oh, my God, how am I going to do Oh, my God. And then as it approaches and you're dealing with these things, it's like, why was I so concerned about this? Don't you feel the same way? You worry a lot for nothing. You worry about things that, but, you know, change is hard for anybody. But yeah. you just, you know, we're both outdoors guys. Yeah. You're, you're going up a hill with a bike. You, you have that anxiety when you see a big hill that you have to yeah. climb. But as you're into it, you're like, ah, I've done this before. Yep. You, you adapt. You adapt. Adapt. Yeah, you adapt. That's a good way to describe it. So the, the sexual function, listen, everyone adapts differently. Uh, what Jeremy does, um, I may do differently but i don't think it's as worrisome as some make it out to be the other thing for me and i brought in a little show and tell i never knew at the age of 49 (laughs) i would be in the business of the adult diaper but here it is and it's beautiful it's beautiful i i bought mediums uh mediums if you want to consider um and i got these in bulk i got two boxes of these well here we are five Weeks after my surgery, and I still have two boxes. You still have two boxes. Yeah. I think I, I used two or three diapers. Yeah, we, I, have, I have a few left too, so we can donate to whoever needs them. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. So you go diaper shopping. Once you remove the catheter, you have a couple days there where you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm just peeing everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you have that? No, no. That? Yeah, there's no control. There. Exactly. <laughs> sure. You're just peeing everywhere. No control. Um, were you the one who told me the story? No, I had another friend told me the story about the pee issue. But anyway, so the diapers are essential, or at least pads. Um, my first week at home post-surgery, I pretty much wet myself every night in bed. I didn't do it too much during the day. I can control it during the day. You do the Kegels, you're aware, but at night when my body relaxed, and relaxed. I was in trouble. You? Yeah. Um, not so much, uh, here and there, but, um, mine was a little bit different experience. I, I didn't have, uh, didn't have a lot of leakage. Yes, leakage, but yeah. never. I think what we just you know what we talked about at night. So, so. never at night. You never woke up with a ne- diaper no, full of pee. Never did, and you know, knock on wood. Good so. for you, because I woke yeah. up twice. I, I was peeing everywhere. I was like, and that to me in this whole process. Again, the surgery was a breeze, 
the most humbling element for me was waking up at three in the morning one night and I got pee all over the bed. And I was sleeping in my daughter's bed because you it was just my like convalescence room. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I just peed my daughter's bed. I'm 49 years old and I got pee coming out and I can't control it. And that's one of the few times I felt sorry for myself. I was like, and I don't know what to do about it. I don't, you can't. What, what do you do? Yeah. There's nothing you can do. But, you know, again, the next night, you're like, okay, I'm going to try and do something different. I won't drink as much before. The next night, you do something different. You learn to adapt. You learn these are not evil. They're not the enemy. They actually fit pretty good, and they don't feel that bad. They're your friend. They are really yeah. not that bad. So you go shopping for these. You make amends. You, as we speak, I'm five weeks removed. You're six weeks removed. Mm -hmm. Are you wearing anything? Nope. You're, you're Just pad underwear. free. Pad free. Okay, I'm wearing a light pad. I'm wearing a light pad because I still, if I if I'm going to work tonight, I'm going to be in the public. I don't want to show up in the public and have an accident. Well, I texted you last night on one yeah. of those goals with the ass. I stood up too fast and I'm like, uh oh, this might not it's be. It's so good. funny that you say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, a few days ago, I'm doing an on ice interview. So I'm a sportscaster in my real job. I'm doing an on ice live interview with a member of the Avalanche, and I'm on the ice, and I got my dress shoes on. So I'm afraid I'm going to fall. Oh, yeah. And so as I'm interviewing him and I turn, I slip a little bit. And so to catch myself, you know, one of the muscles. And you're sitting there going, thank God I'm wearing a pad. It's safe. I mean, these are things I thought I'd have to worry about when I was 90, not 49. But you know what? You smile. You move through it. If that's the worst case scenario, it is what it is. It is what it is. It doesn't bother me like I thought it would. And if there's a key to this podcast understand guys what was really going to bother you and what's not the anxiety should be held for certain things it shouldn't be held on crap like this peeing the sexual function will come back um oh what are other people going to think that all that stuff means nothing it means absolutely nothing here's another item your diet has it changed have you changed it have you tried to change it i've tried to change it yes okay. and you and i have had some we've had this conversation yeah. um i i've tried to change it uh working on that uh you're way further down the line than i am with your i diet think i'm just more yeah. scared than you, yeah. than you are I, um, you know my diet i don't know what was your diet before i i my wife tries to get me to eat healthy right yeah. uh but i'm you know i like a coke here and there and yeah. popcorn and chips and you know all that all sure. that good stuff that's not good for you right uh, but we do eat healthy. Um, I'm still down that line of red meat and, mm -hmm. and things like that where I know that you've made some changes. Uh, but I, I do think it's important. Um, it's on my it's on my radar to do. Mm -hmm. uh, haven't fully implemented it yet. See, before diagnosis, I was on the I'll eat whatever the hell I want when I want diet. Yeah. Um, I was 178 pounds before diagnosis. I was 178 pounds. I haven't moved beyond two or three pounds since college. So... I had high metabolism. High metabolism. I worked out. I felt that because I work out, I can eat whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And I did, openly. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying I've done enough reading, I guess, and I want my immune system working properly. I've made some not-so-subtle changes. I, I grew up in the Italian environment eating spaghetti and mozzarella and all that stuff and sauce and sausage and meatballs and mm -hmm. eating as much as I wanted. I'm a sugar fanatic. I mean, I'd wake up every morning, have my four cups of coffee and each one of them has half sugar, <laughs> half sugar just right. a sugar fanatic yeah. brownies my my morning breakfast was something sweet oh for sure that's that's just the way it operates so 
That changed. I'm not into sweets anymore like I was. Um, I'm into more veggies. I'm into more fish. I'm into more of that stuff. Will I last? I don't know. I can't promise you because, boy, am I sick of eating fish, Jeremy. I think you have to be realistic, right? I mean, set some realistic goals. And um, I, I I know that I couldn't jump in what you, what you did. I would set mm-hmm. myself up for failure on that. So yeah. it's And it's I'm not saying that I'm going to finish that road. It's but just it's very hard to do. And I know some guys and gals, uh, they get that cancer revelation, and they go cold turkey. Yeah. And, and I get it, and I, and I understand why. I'm having some difficulties watching my friends and brothers and families eat, and I got to sit there, and I'm on the outside looking in going, Oh, let me have that cauliflower again. You know, that's the right. toughest part that's for me. That's the toughest part, yeah. Yeah, so it gets old. So your diet, a little better, but not all the way. A little better, not all the way. Okay. So what happens when you get diagnosed, you go through the surgery. Every day that goes by, you're starting to feel better. But cancer's weird because people say, well, good job. You had the surgery. I don't know if you got this. Hey, congratulations. You look good. You had the surgery. You got this thing beaten. And here's my philosophy. Cancer's never beaten. You're never cured of cancer in my eyes. You've got it under control. You've got it managed. You always have to be vigilant. Mm. How many stories have you heard of guys who, oh, it's over. They got it beaten. They got surgery. And then three years later, there's a recurrence. Yeah. Especially I, with our Gleason with all, scores. With our Gleason scores, for sure. The higher the Gleason score, the higher you're likely to have a recurrence, no matter what. So you have to be wary. And that's the truth. You may not like to hear the truth. I, I don't mind talking about it. You can't ignore the truth, so yeah. why ignore it? My that? doctor's been very point blank with me about yeah. that. I mean, don't worry so much about your scores now. Worry about maintaining your scores right. and not having that thing skyrocket. So when you have the prostate removed, the next big day, besides getting the catheter out, is your first PSA test. Because your first PSA test, by and large, you don't have a prostate anymore. It should come back at zero that you have no prostate or somewhere near that. Somewhere near that. Okay. So that is anxiety filled. I got my first score just under a month after post-op. You got yours when? About six weeks? Uh, Yeah, just Monday. So yeah, six weeks. Okay. Mine was a little soon and and those always change. And mine came back at 0.04. Now. You read these things, you hear these things, you ideally want it undetectable. Undetectable is 0.000, and then you can find a number way down there. The the Blutarski reference in Animal House, that you want your 0.0 GPA. So when I heard mine 0.04, I'm not going to lie to you. That alarmed me a little bit. I was like, what the hell is that 4 doing there? Yeah, you texted me and you were, yeah. You were, yeah, I mean, why, why, mean? why mean? is there a 4? Why do I have a 4? On my PSA score, this thing's gone. And, you know, it is what it is. Perhaps I did it too early. Maybe it's still settling down. Maybe uh, there are a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get another PSA score here in a few weeks. Sure. You got your PSA results earlier this week. And you got the magic words. Yeah, blood test Monday, results Tuesday, and it was verbatim undetectable. What does that mean? Uh... What does that mean? Did, I, you, did I, they did I, they say what that means? I'm like, so there is there's there's no detection of any PSA, and they're like, no, this is undetectable. So I haven't seen the true score. The actual card, score, right? yeah. And so, if there's a number somewhere down yeah. the line, maybe, 
But when you hear undetectable, it's like, hey, that's what I was going that's for. Exactly that's exactly what you want. That's exactly what you want. And that and for a prostate cancer patient, the words undetectable or zero, those are I that's that's heaven. That's 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 heaven for you. Yeah. Um again, given our Gleason scores, and I've met people, guys, I, I don't know about you, Jeremy, I've had conversations with fifty, a hundred guys who have gone through this. Yeah. And I've had conversations with those that had the had the surgery ten years ago and they've been undetectable ever since. Yeah. I've had conversations with guys who had surgery a year ago and all of a sudden it started storming back and now it's metastasized and it's in their spine. Somewhere. I've had conversations with a little bit of everything. And what I'm getting at is you just don't know. Just don't know. And 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 that scares me a little bit. Yeah. The the the, the uncertainty of one getting cancer, the surgery, the aftercare, getting your first PSA is there's so many unknowns, right? It it really is. And so did, did, do you right now you're so happy and I'm, I'm so happy for you but do you think somewhat because you get that undetectable announcement that do you feel no, do you feel the same again or deep in the in the recesses of your brain do you still have that anxiety I do because I, I think you have to you have to be ever vigilant with sure with with cancer it, I don't know when it's gonna come back yeah don't know if it will come back can I be undetectable 10 years from now I feel I feel like I'm back to normal in all sense of activity and all that. Yeah. But I know that, hey, that's always going to be there. I, I had I had prostate cancer. Here's how I view what happened to us here in the last couple of months. And tell me if you have the same feeling because uh, it's it's weird. I, I never thought I'd have cancer. I, I always thought I was too good for cancer. I thought I was indestructible. Yeah. I thought, no, it's not going to happen to me. What, what are you guys talking about? What's happened to me is it's given me such a different perspective on life. I'm not going to say it's good that I came down with this, but it's really changed the way I live and the way I look at each day. And I think it's changed it for the good. I manage each day differently. I manage bad situations differently than I did just a month ago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, 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 it is it. I think it's just inevitable. And if you don't, I don't maybe you I don't know where you were in the place before, yeah. but it is changed. You're right. You look at day-to-day, things that used to make me just fly off the handle. Yeah. Eh. You know what I love about Jeremy, guys? You can sort of sense it in his voice. What I love about you and what I envy about you, you really do have that carefree, laid-back personality that I think is required to battle this disease. And I'm, I'm not saying that just because you I really, the, the more I think about it, I'm the almost opposite of that. I am like a little puppy dog that continues to bark and I'm always high, yeah. high maintenance, high pollutant. And I, I got it. What, what do I do? What do I do? What, where do I go next? And, and you're more of the, all right, let's see what happens. Let's wait and see. And let's just go ahead and fight this sucker. Yeah. Roll with the punches. I can't, can't change anything. How do you right become now? that way? I, I want to become more like that. <laughs> I don't know how you become that way. Um, I like back, back in my twenties, you know, I was yeah. that, I was like, yeah, I got, I got life like here, yeah. right. And I'm not going to take any crap from anybody. And I don't know, just over the years, it, uh, it just has evolved. Uh, so my next, just to show you how different we are when it comes to this and for, in the end, we're the same, but man, I've reached out to doctors all over the place asking mm-hmm. for advice. I did a genetic test. Uh, those results are coming back soon. Um, I have mine in I think two weeks. Okay. Yep. I did a germline uh, a genome test called the Decipher test, which those results will come back any day now. And according to my doctor, the Decipher test 
will give you more detailed risk on if it'll come back yeah. and how it'll come back and and if, if you're averse to certain therapies. Wow. So that that's the next level. And then I always have in the back of my mind, what about these PSA scans that they have, right? These big PET scans, these, I mean, the ultra magnified scans mm -hmm. that they can find that cancer if it spreads. When can I do one of those? Have you even thought about doing that? No. Well, right now you're undetectable, so I don't. It's not no. going to find anything. No, and you've had we've had long conversations mm -hmm. about what 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 are our next steps, right? Mm -hmm. You've done the decipher. And I want to stay. I, I want to stay a step ahead. You you are. You're staying a step ahead. Where I'm, I'll roll with the punches. I know I can't change anything. Even sure. if my doctor said in a year from now, hey, it's it's in your hip or it's in yeah. your bones. Okay. What what what's the course of action? Sure. How do we deal with it? Right. So you're That's more read and react with this. Yeah. I'm yeah. more react and then wait and then get to the and, and it's funny because I think both it's your personality. It is your personality. It's your personality. Yeah. It's it's entirely your personality. And I might be doing this and it's complete waste of time and there's really no reason to go this route. You know, I've heard that these these big PET scans, you still have to show some sign of a PSA, you have to have a, at least a one for them to catch it. And okay. if you have anything under a one, you're, you're wasting everybody's time. Yeah. It's more so for those that have had it metastasized or whatever. I, I'm going to answer those questions on my own as we as we yeah. move forward because I want to get it all. And I want to zap it and I want to get the hell out of there. I want it out. If I get a sense that there's something in my body, I want it out because it's pissing me off. Yeah, and that was the test that we talked about at the Mayo Clinic where you're like, I want to know where it is because I... I'm going to go get it. Yes. I'm, I'm going to go find that cancer and hunt it down. Or, or I just want it out of me, right? Want to radiate a part of my lung or take out a lobe, okay. whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, the one thing I've learned in here, maybe I'm speaking too soon, people are so scared of the surgical process. They're so afraid. You know, how will it change my livelihood, just the surgery itself? Again, I can't stress enough. The surgery was the easiest part of this whole thing. Hands down. Agree? Hands down. It was the... We had both very competent doctors, obviously. They knew what they were doing. The robots helped. It was the easiest part. The hardest part is managing anxiety and figuring out what to do next, which brings us to our last topic. I'll let you go. You've been great, Jeremy. Don't go on the Internet and go down a rabbit hole. Get off the Internet. <laughs> um, the role of, of the spouse and the family, because my wife has been nothing but spectacular throughout this and. And she unfortunately had to watch her, her mother die a couple years ago uh, via cancer, and it was awful. So perhaps she was uh, ready for this process with me. Uh, my wife's been great. She's, she's done everything that you're supposed to do as a, as a great spouse. And I know, Brandy, your wife has done the same. Yeah, I, I don't know what I'd do without her. I mean, it's... I can't say enough good about it. It's and the she's police. And... She sort of almost played my role with you. She's telling you, yeah. whipping you in the shape, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like diet. Yeah, she's like, you got. You, come on, look at Vic. Look what Vic's done. I'm like, okay, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there, right? But uh, yeah, she's uh, her father uh, passed away uh, nine years ago of cancer. And what kind uh, of cancer? Uh, he had colon cancer. He had a colon surgery to have a part of his colon removed, mm -hmm. uh, and didn't do any follow-up treatments because they didn't want to or didn't they didn't want, suggest it didn't want to well i mean that's a that's a personal choice that's a personal choice and it killed him yeah that's a personal choice because you hear all this you know the worst stories i hear i read this book about about diet and 
it was like, all right, you go to this diet, and you go to the East, Eastern diet and all this stuff. And this, the author that wrote it was uh, a cancer patient himself. And so I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. And then at the end of the book, he died five years later. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm like, well, wait a minute. What was it for? What are we doing yeah. here? Yeah. I mean, if you're buying a few extra years, I, I want to talk about buying life. Mm-hmm. And I hate to sound crude. But I want to make sure we do something that works long term, right? Not for the short term. Not for the short term. Yeah. So you know, my next step and your next step uh, may be entirely different, but in the end, we want to see the same thing. Uh, we want to see more discussion like this. We want to see the prostate cancer groups out there find more cures, more medicine. And it's crazy. It happened so fast. Just in the two months that I've had this disease, I've seen already two or three revolutionary ideas, prescription medications, things come to the forefront that were never there. We're never and all there. of a sudden, new things are happening. Yeah. This is fast. People are getting to this fast. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I think that one thing, that there's all kinds of information out there, right? And as you look for it, you can go find it and look for it. And But you, know, you have to go do that, where I think that it should be more easily accessible, more, uh, more in, the, in the, our everyday, you know, talking points uh it it, it it just seems to be lost in uh in in today i think this conversation uh jeremy i, I want to thank you uh, if anything it's 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 therapeutic for us it's always been i always admit it's therapeutic for me to talk about it because when i have it out in the open and outside of my head and and it doesn't get stuck in there it makes me think a little more freely yeah i don't know if it does for you so i'm gonna be a little selfish and say we're doing this not only for people watching but for us i mean this is this is helpful if, if you're a new patient or a would-be patient or a newly diagnosed patient, we hope these are effective for you to understand the road you have ahead. Every road is different. Uh, I'm not promising you that your surgery is going to be pain-free. It's not a promise. I'm just speaking from experience, his experience and mine, 49 years old, 46 years old. Um, you know, when you hear about prostate cancer and somebody says to me, Vic, do you want to listen to a podcast on, prodca- on prostate cancer? If somebody had asked me that question four months ago, I said, what am I, 90? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. You know, but some of you watching this are probably our age and understand how important this is and understand that your fears are legit. But here's what you should be fearful about. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. Be afraid of the cancer. Don't be afraid of all the other crap. The other crap is just crap you can deal with. Be afraid of the cancer. That's key. Do you agree? Absolutely. All right. We're going to leave you with this. Just to see what kind of cancer patient you are, prostate cancer patient you are. You have your book bag with you, your backpack. Are you carrying a backup diaper? Yep. I Let am. me see it. I want to prove it to me. Let's see. Jeremy Sivkus. Right here. This is your work backpack, correct? Work backpack. You got your. Let's, let's see. This is what you do. When you're a prostate cancer survivor. Computer, and you have tucked away. Oh, just a nice just little pad. Nice little pad. See the difference between the pad and the diaper? This is a man who's secure with himself. This is a man who's not. I carry the diaper. He carries the pad. Never know when you'll need it. Jeremy Godspeed, buddy. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for Vic. walking through this with me. Really appreciate it. Thanks. All right.